morning, Father. It's good to be with you. Thank you, Father, that we're gathered here today, and thank you that we're, do- we're here because you love us, because you've proven that beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have taken an extraordinary measure and sent your son Jesus and put him on a cross, and he died, and he lived again. I pray, Lord God, that you fill us with the enthusiasm and the excitement that that deserves, the reality that our God lives and that the Savior of Christianity is a living Savior. I pray you awaken us to that reality today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, you know, before you sit down, you should get a little loud. Jesus is alive. Yeah. All right. Good deal. You can sit down now. I know you're like tired. My feet hurt. That was three songs. Just picking on you. You say, is he going to pick on me the whole message? Yep. That's how that works. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. So, man, it's good to see you guys on this Resurrection Sunday. Oh, we're going we're gonna to talk about learning to believe this morning. And uh, hopefully we'll address some things. Uh, I'll be honest with you right from the front. I'm trying to set a trap for you and a mental trap. I'm trying to force you into uh, a... Um, a decision of sorts, maybe not the decision you're expecting, but a decision of sorts uh, to, to decide uh, about Jesus, whether he's worth knowing and pursuing. You see, I believe that uh, faith is challenging. I've struggled with my faith in my life many times, uh, even as a pastor, maybe more so as a pastor. And uh, I've, I've struggled with it. I believe faith is tough. I think doubt is tougher. I think doubt is harder. Because as you keep running into the reality of who Jesus is and the things that he said and how they changed the world, I think they begin to have an impact on us. And so what I really, my heart this morning is just to empower, encourage, and release faith. Because a lot of people have some faith, a little faith, but they don't have enough faith to transform their lives. And so no matter where you consider yourself on the faith spectrum, whether you think, well, I'm I'm not really a believer or I am a believer. It, it won't matter because what we're talking about today, the point of it is to increase faith in your, in your life. How can I grow in my faith? But to get there, let's start with some ideas about why we struggle with our faith. What makes faith difficult in our lives? What makes it, what makes us hard, what makes it hard for the resurrection of Jesus to have an impact and to, to begin to transform and change, not just the way we think, but the way we actually live our lives. And so I, some of it might be, as I was chewing through some of these ideas, I grew up in church. I don't know if, if you grew up in church or not, but how people come to faith, what landed you here today on this particular Sunday, I don't know. Uh, but chances are you've experienced something, whether you went to church with your grandmother or with some friend of the family or someone you went to school with. And you tried different, and there's all kinds of flavors out there. Chocolate, vanilla, swirl, not really those, but I mean, there's all these flavors of faith. I mean, you have your liturgical, I call them the high church, you know, and, and, and I, sometimes I'm jealous of high church. This weekend's Easter weekend, and I know you're looking at how simply I dress, and you're like, well, it didn't take him long to pick that out, but I really had to think about this. <laughs> and, uh, cause you know, I just, you know, shirt and jeans, that's my life. And, uh. And I was looking at my liturgical friends. <clears throat> I was, what'd you say? Okay, well, good deal. I'm telling you what, if I'd have got that in high school, I would have been the class president right there, buddy. Just, I think you look okay. I never even thought that for a second. I was, I was talking to some of my liturgical friends over the weekend, and they get to wear robes. They never have to decide what they're wearing, you know? And so they, 
In fact, I was talking to my Catholic friend, Father Bill, over at the, the parish over here, and he said, well, you know, we just do the same service every year. I don't actually have to prepare. And I said, that's a good idea. I'll mention that to Steve. <laughs> Maybe you came from that walk of faith, and it's, I, I call it the high church. Obviously, I did not come from high church, and there isn't technically a low church because that sounds insulting, but if there is one, that would probably be ordinary faith, you know. We were like ordinary church, I guess. Uh, you may have come from a charismatic background and you're used to some more exciting things happening. You may have come from a Bible church or a Baptist church background. And whatever your background is, there are things in our background that are meant to help us. I mean, pastors and church leaders mean to help us in our faith, but sometimes we unintentionally get kind of blur things. We don't mean to, but it happens. And so, when it comes to issues of faith, maybe the, the liturgy or the routines, because every church has its rituals and its traditions, maybe, those, you, maybe you ask yourself a lot, why? Why do they do those things? And so that was the, the first question that came across my mind in the struggle with faith is, is it hard to get the information? Now, this is what I believe, and so I submit it to you. I believe that the best, most accurate, most pure source of information about God is a book called the Bible. I don't think it's a teacher. I don't think it's a preacher. I don't think it's guys who write books. I think it's the Bible. And I think you can go straight to the source for the information you need. And, and, and here's why I think that. You see, I do thank God for all the intellectuals and the high thinkers that exist in the church and in Christendom today. I thank God for the things they've taught us. But I'm always brought back to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians when he said, God chose the things the world considers foolish. I kind of take exception to that sometimes. Like, <laughs> God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. I, I think you can get past the rituals, the traditions, the pomp, the ceremony, the formality, the liturgies, the tradition, whatever it is. I think you can get past all of that. You could actually, for yourself, read a Bible. Now, I will make this one common sense thing. I would grab a translation that's written in the readable type English. I use the New Living. It's one I recommend a lot because the Bible actually makes a ton of sense. Just normally. In fact, here's a couple verses that I think make a ton of sense. John 3:16. This is how God loved the world. You know, we've heard God say, we've heard people say, God loves you and God loves the world. But here you have in this modern translation, the simple interpretation of that that says, This is how God loved the world. He put, He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's pretty simple. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to cemetery. I mean, seminary. Um, sorry, that's a, that's a total Michael uh, insult there. So anyway, so uh, the Bible also says in Romans 10, 13, everyone, every, say everyone. I think that includes the person sitting next to you, maybe the person sitting in your skin. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't think information is the problem, is what I'm saying. I think the information is available. I think it's pretty easy to get your hands on. I think if you're just willing to, to read, to think, uh, to process, that the information is available to you. 
And so if it's not information, what if it's, what if it, is it about what happened? You see, Easter weekend, what we're celebrating is the resurrection. The reason we're celebrating the resurrection was because there was a death. Someone died and then they got over it. And that never had happened before. And so there's this series of events that set up and the claim of Christianity is that Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross and died in our place and for our sins, for all of our guilt and all of our shame. Paul writes about that in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians. He says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. The message of Christianity, the message of the cross, is that God put His Son on, on a cross in your place and died for your sins, your guilt, and your shame. That's the message. That's what happened. So what happened? I mean, what is the cause of that? What do we do with that information? Because not only did Jesus die on a cross, what we celebrate today is He rose again. He lived. And because He lived, this is what Paul says happened. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made Jesus to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God, and He made us pure and holy, and He freed us from sin. So that's, that's the message right there. So yeah, you can applaud. That's the Bible. That's not even something I said. Okay, It's good. It's good. So something happened. Is it, is it hard to think about what happened? Is it hard to know that that happened? Is it hard to believe that that happened? So do we struggle with source material? Is it hard to get the information? Is it hard to deal with what happened? Um, is it hard to believe what others have said about the resurrection itself? Okay, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins. So it tells you exactly why he died. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. This is Paul's account then. They're not alive today or they, they've really been eating their Wheaties. Um, you'd have to be pretty old to even know what I meant right there, wouldn't you? Because that's first, I'm real sorry. I'm real sorry. You'd be have to drink in your green juice to live that long. How's that? So, uh, though some have died. Here's, the, here's the, the problem of, I don't know if you call it the problem or not, the challenge of Christianity. One, no other faith makes the claim that Christianity makes. No other faith has a living Savior that died on a cross, that died in any way, stayed was in a grave and then rose again. No other faith has that. No other faith makes that claim. And then the other rub is that all of Jesus' followers also did not believe in the resurrection. That's the other problem. They did not believe it until they did. Eleven disciples did not believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. Their faith was dead on Friday. And then Sunday, everything changed so extremely that they went to their deaths, died at the hands of cruel people, and never recanted that Jesus Christ was alive. They had seen Him be so. And so you have this claim of Christianity. The other thing you have is you have this guy named Paul who hated Jesus hated him, wanted to destroy everything that Jesus stood for. Then he met Jesus, became a follower of Jesus, and spent the rest of his life telling the known world about Jesus Christ. These, are the claim, these aren't just the claims of Christianity. These are the realities of Christianity. 
So, is it the information? Is it what happened? Is it the witnesses? Why is it that we struggle with our faith? I thought through those things. I don't think any of those are the reason. Here's what the reason is I think we struggle with our faith. Are you ready? This is deep. It's profound. Hang on to your seats because we're lazy. (sighs) We're lazy. (laughs) Michael, that hurt. It only hurt because the more you think about it, you'll know that I'm telling you the truth. (laughs) We don't want to think about it. We don't want to think about it because... If a guy came to this planet and he claimed that God sent him and he claimed that he was God's son and he claimed he was instituting an entirely new kingdom and he claimed that that new kingdom was going to have an entirely new, higher and better set of laws and then that person was arrested, condemned, uh, humiliated, punished, nailed to a cross, dies, and then rises from the dead of his own power, now you have no choice but to take that man's claims seriously. You see, there's an expression I love. It's called, ignorance is bliss. And the older I get, the more blissful ignorance is. You know, when I have a great week, when I turn off the news, I have a great week. When I turn on the news, my wife can't stand me. And so, do any of you other men just rant at your wives about what's going on in the world, or am I the only one? I mean, my poor wives. Oh, no, not Michael. That's good. He, oh, he, <laughs> I thought rant, Michael would rant about how bad the Star Wars recoveries were. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> If Jesus rose from the dead, then it's possible I'm spending my life on the wrong things. If Jesus rose from the dead, it's possible that I should not be my own God, that I should have a God. And if Jesus rose from the dead, it might mean that He deserves to be Lord of my life. And see, that's what we have to think about today. I'm not mean trying to be mean and setting a trap but i i will say this honestly right from the beginning every one of us is one day going to meet this guy named jesus whether you want to or not you're going to meet him and in that moment um, you're going to realize that either you made a decision or you made you either made a decision by a choice or you made a decision by neglect And my goal today is to make sure that you don't make any choice for Jesus out of neglect, but you make a conscious choice. That's all. And so I want to think about how we get to places of faith in our lives. So I'm going to look at an unbeliever, some more unbelievers, and a believer. An unbeliever, some more unbelievers, and a believer. The first unbeliever is a guy named Thomas. And we... We tend to call him, he's got this nomer, this name. We call him Doubting Thomas. Have you ever heard of Doubting Thomas? Isn't that an awful first name, Doubting Thomas? So that was a dumb joke, Michael. I know, but I just needed a chuckle for that moment. You know, Thomas, Thomas was a lot of things. And I, I really hate that he gets called Doubting Thomas. He was just, I would really just call him Honest Thomas. <laughs> and it rhymes, it sounds better. Maybe we'll do a sermon one day, Honest Thomas, you know. 
Uh, actually, Thomas was a very brave guy, and we'll look at a scripture in just a second. But the week after Jesus rose from the dead, this, the, the coming week, Thomas missed a gathering of the gang. All the other disciples had gathered, and when the disciples gathered, Jesus showed up. Poof, Jesus showed up. The first thing he said was, chill. That, that wasn't exactly it. It was like the King James says, peace be still or something like that. But I'm pretty sure in the Greek it was chill. And uh, <laughs> Because if when you just pop into a room, I'm like, you moms have done it to your kids before. Just popped in the room. They're like, ah! You know, and so he did that. And, but Thomas wasn't there. He missed one of the gatherings. And this is, uh, when, when, they, when he got back with the guys, this is what happened. This conversation went down. Said so one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. So that's cool. He had a twin. It was probably, maybe he was like positive Thomas or faith Thomas or something like that. Anyway, I'm sorry. That was stupid. Okay. Uh, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him. So everybody, they told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. Jesus popped in the other day. Scared us to death. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Thomas wasn't there. I don't think Thomas wasn't there because he was a coward. I mean, uh, in fact, I think Thomas was one of the bravest of the disciples because of something that happened earlier in the book of John. When Jesus was called to go back to, in the situation of Lazarus, they had just been basically run out of Judea. And the other disciples were worried. Hey, man, they just ran us out of town. They want us dead. We can't go back. And Thomas is the one who said, let's go and die with Jesus. This guy wasn't scared. I don't think he wasn't with him because he was a coward. I don't know why he wasn't there, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't know if he had other things going on, things in his family, legitimate reasons. Here's what I do know. When that early body of Christ came together, Thomas wasn't there. And Jesus showed up and Thomas missed it. From that, I take a lesson. It's really important if you're going to grow in your faith, if you're going to have a faith, it's very important to be present. To be present. To be not just in the moment, but in a community of faith also pursuing and seeking answers about Jesus Christ. So as I ask myself, what keeps us from connecting with other people? What keeps us out of the community of faith? And man, I could think of lots of things that would keep us from connecting with other people. Things from fear, from our trust issues with other folks. One of the things I think of that might keep us out of community is our pain. Is our pain. And what I mean by that is sometimes our enemy, there's an enemy of our soul, and it's really beyond the scope of today's message, but he's very good at isolating us. And what happens when we get isolated is we begin to believe these lies that are rolling around in the echo chamber of our minds. And, and we begin, one of the primary lies we believe is no one's ever gone through what I'm going through. No one's ever felt what I'm feeling. No one's ever made the mistake that I've made, at least no one I know, and I'm alone in that. And so a lot of times we get trapped in this echo chamber of our own pain and it keeps us from connecting with other people and feeling like we can connect with other people. In fact, our world promotes this because I think the world is kind of managed by our enemy. And our world promotes this isolation. It's presented a new Gnosticism. And I, I know that's a, a weird sounding word. And, and as nasally as I am today, it probably sounds like a nasal word, but it's not. It's not. <laughs> Sorry. 
I didn't mean to do that, but it's hilarious. And so we'll roll with it. Uh, <laughs> if you're kissing on your honey and oh, I better stop right there. Uh, we better stay on point or we'll be here too long. But there's this Gnosticism. Gnosticism just means special knowledge. And what it means is, is that we get to these places in their, our lives that we think I have special knowledge and you don't. So we can't talk. We can't be friends. We can't hang out. And that was actually a problem in the early churches that began to develop in the way that people thought. And so I think we're there today. We're at a place where people are telling us no one will understand. They won't understand your background. They won't understand your history. They won't understand your story. And so don't even try. And what that does is, you see, in order for us to communicate, we have to use these magical things called uh, words. We have to use words. And we, when we gather with people, if we're actually committed to a community, we have to find words to express the pain, our story. And it's risky. It takes vulnerability. It's, it's not easy to do. However, Thomas missed a gathering, and in missing the gathering, he missed Jesus showing up. He missed the presence. And I think that's true for us. I think we have to learn to be present. We have to take the risk of especially a faith seeking community. And I know that's really hard. We just went through two plus years of isolation and it's time to come out of our caves, <clears throat> shave and, uh, <laughs> just kidding. and, and find community again and be with other people. Uh, but our pain isn't the only reason. There's also the issue of our pride. Now, pride is a two-edged sword. It goes two ways. Sometimes we don't want to be around other people because one, high pride, we think uh, we're better than them. Okay, yeah, we're, you know, I'm just smarter, better looking. You know, I'm I belong in the attractive community, not not the ordinary one. And uh, <clears throat> and so we have pride goes that way, but pride also goes the other way, in that it's low pride in that I'm afraid I don't measure up. I'm afraid I, I wouldn't measure up to that community. I'm not smart enough to be in that community. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not financially set enough, whatever it is. And so sometimes the issue is our pain. Sometimes the issue is our pride. And of course, sometimes it's just straight up disbelief. It is so easy to just, to just, just like categorically dismiss God. It makes life easier in some ways. It makes it harder in a lot of other ways. But if I just say, okay, I don't believe in God. I'm on my own. God's abandoned us then I get to be my own God. Then I get to make all the decisions. In fact, not only do I get to be my own God, now I get to give God tests. If you're going to be my God, you've got to be a better God than me. And here's what I would do. And if you won't do what I would do, well, I'm not following you. You see, that, that's one way we make ourselves a God. If we can just disbelieve things, we can promote ourselves to our own divine entity in our life. These are some reasons why we might not be in community, why we might not connect with others. And so I want to encourage you today that your faith move from me to we. And here's why. I don't think there are any lone rangers in Christianity. I don't think there are any... Jesus didn't mean for anyone. I mean, if anyone should have been a lone ranger, it should have been Jesus. No one was like him. No one thought like him. No one was as good as he was, as smart as he was, as strong as he was, as tough as he was. If anyone should have been a Lone Ranger, it should have been Jesus. And what did he do? He went and found 12 losers. I mean, who, I mean, how can you be a winner compared to Jesus, you know? 
He finds these 12 guys, and, and then around them, there's another periphery circle around them, all these followers. Jesus lived in community, and if anyone should have been alone, it should have been Jesus. But he didn't. He lived in community. So I believe Jesus means for us to live that way. Will Jesus show up for you individually? Because there's this thinking in Western culture that spirituality is so personal and so intimate. It's only you. You're the only one who can just... I don't talk to anyone about faith. I don't want to fight about theology. I don't know any theology, but I don't want to fight about it. Okay? And so... I would like to see faith move from me to we. Will God show up for you? Sure. Sure He will. Back in 1993, uh, like, yeah, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Sorry. Had my own little brontosaurus. I rode to work at Hardee's, Bronco Burgers. Anyway, um, but uh, 1993, I was making terrible choices. I was a lousy husband and an even worse dad. Uh, I had committed my life to Jesus at 13. And at 16, I told God, I want to have fun. And um, that's when the fun began. <clears throat> at 23, I'm sitting on a Thursday night. My wife had gone to visit her parents and taken the, the kids to see their grandparents. And I'm beginning to see how, how wonderful the life is that I've created for myself with my own direction and power. And Jesus showed up. Now, he didn't walk in the room. I'm really glad too, because that would have scared me. He'd have to say a whole lot more than chill. I mean, that's just, it would have scared me. He would have had to call the ambulance. <laughs> but he showed up and he reminded me of the commitments I'd made. And he reaffirmed for me, reaffirmed for me his love and forgiveness of me. And in one night, my life changed. Will Jesus come and find you if you're all alone? Oh yeah. That's the kind of Lord and Savior He is. He did that for Peter in John 21, and He will do that for you. Does that mean it's okay to live your Christian faith as a Lone Ranger? Absolutely not. Christianity is too strong and too powerful and too world-changing for you to do alone. So your faith has to move from me to we. How are we going to grow in our faith if we won't be present? So that's our first guys, okay? Our first group, first unbeliever, Doubting Thomas. Our second unbelievers are the disciples on the way to Emmaus. So this is after the resurrection, and you have two disciples who are, uh, I don't know, they're, they're gossiping, I guess. They're walking the road to Emmaus. We don't, eh, there's theories on who they are, but we don't know for sure. And they're talking about Jesus and all the stuff that happened in Jerusalem and the crucifixion and the rumors that Jesus was alive. And all of a sudden, this guy walks up and joins them. And he starts breaking down the Old Testament for them. And they're absolutely clueless as to what's happening. And they're walking along and they're, this guy's just teaching them about the Old Testament and how that Jesus coming alive is fulfilling all these things and how it had to be that way. And they're not getting it at all. And then the Bible tells us in Luke 24, 31, as they're getting ready to end their journey, the Bible says, suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized Jesus. And at that moment, he disappeared. That is a little ornery, isn't it? I mean, oh, it's Jesus. Where'd he go? He disappeared as soon as they saw him. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the Scriptures to us? 
So this, you know, how can we believe if we're not present? Also, how can we believe if we don't listen? Now, that's an interesting idea. And I'm sure all the wives in this room go, yeah, it's like probably being married to a husband. And um, I thought about what, what puts us in a place where we don't listen? And I think what puts us in a place of we don't listen, because see, Jesus is always expanding our horizons. He's always putting us in circumstances and situations that we're unfamiliar with and that make us uncomfortable. And in those situations, He teaches us and expands what we need to know. And He exposes us to a world and a kingdom we don't even, we're completely unfamiliar with. So Jesus stretching you is a totally normal experience. But to grow in your faith, you have to listen. You have to be willing to learn. Um, so I'm a dad. I've got a few boys. And... Um, <sighs> They're mostly grown now, and uh, I've got one at home, two at home still, one that's 14 and, and one that's, I, I don't know how old he is, 18, 19, I don't know, they grow up so fast. I mean, when I look at him, he's still three and cute as a bug in a rug, but that's not how he is anymore. He's like 6'4". And, uh, you know, as a father of sons, it is a joy to watch young men learn. And it's a real pain in the britches, too. <laughs> And what I mean by that is, have you ever known something and you, you know what you know and you're very excited about what you know? You have learned something and you are very compelled. Like, yes, but I know this. There's like a whole world of information beyond you that you don't know, but you're so excited about that one thing you do know. And that's kind of how it is raising sons. They know what they know, and it's beautiful, and I celebrate it, but they don't know what they don't know, and I can't tell them. I, I, you know, I'm, and if you say to a teenage son, I know you know this, but you, there's a lot you don't know, they don't believe you <sighs> until they also realize that you don't know. Why am I telling you that? When we know that we know something, when we're confident in our knowledge, we don't listen. And this hurts us in our faith because we think we have our minds wrapped around how God works and what He's supposed to do. And those ideas come from what we would do. They come from what we know. And, but God doesn't work in the ways that we know. God works in big ways, different ways, unique ways, creative ways. If you were to read the Gospels, you'd look at the way Jesus did things he never did anything the same way twice. And then we look at our lives and we expect God to do things the same way every single time. And that is not how He works. Because He's a creator. He's infinite. There's no end to Him. He is so far beyond us. So we have to learn to be humble about things. We have to know that even though we know some things and we know that we know those things, there's so much we don't know. So I had a friend of mine a, a month or two ago that had an experience with Jesus that was awesome. And that experience was outside of my experience. It, was, it isn't something that I've experienced before. And she shared with me what Jesus had done and what she went through. And, and <clears throat> excuse me. And she went through that and tell me. Now, I celebrated. I was like, yes, this is awesome that you got to do this with Jesus. But if I had been proud instead of humble, if I'd had fear instead of faith, 
Because this is what a lot of people do. When someone tells them something that's outside their experience, they go, hmm, that's out there. Not sure we can be friends anymore. Uh, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. Because I know what I know, and what I know doesn't include what happened to you. Okay? So that's fear. And that's pride. Because that pride is saying, what I know is enough to include, should be enough to include your experience, and what happened to you is outside my experience, so I'm out. Humility says, you know, there's a lot I don't know. I'm really bad at string theory. Not so good at, at oceanic, I don't even know what it's called, the study of the ocean, so I'm not good at that. Pretty, I'm a preacher, so I'm terrible at math. <laughs> One, two, three thousand people at church today. <laughs> There's so much I don't know. And if I'm going to listen to Jesus, I have to take a place of humility and faith. And I have to listen. And I have to be teachable. Because Jesus is going to take me places I've never been before. How are we going to grow in our faith if we're not present? You can't grow all alone. Yeah, you can turn around all alone. You can come to faith all alone. But growing in your faith needs a community. Jesus ordained it that way. He said, on this rock I build my church. That's a, a group. Actually, it's a ruling class, but that's for another sermon series. And also, I can't listen if I know so much that I won't listen. That makes sense? How can I grow if I won't show up? How can I grow if I won't listen? And then the last will come now to a believer. I love Jesus' ministry in the Gospels. And one of the things I love about it makes so many evangelicals really nervous nowadays. And that is his ministry alongside of these amazing women. And in the Gospel stories, we have this amazing story of the resurrection and on Sunday morning, the very first person at the tomb was not a dude. Not a guy. It was Mary Magdalene. And the Bible says in John 20, she was there before the sun came up. Because on Friday night, they had gathered the, the spices and things they needed to embalm Jesus' body, but they ran out of time. They hit the hard stop of the Sabbath. And so, first thing, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene is at the tomb and the stone is rolled away. And she looks inside and there's no one in there. And she, I don't, you know, they say that Mary, the Bible says that she had seven devils at one time. And I don't think she had devils anymore, but I, I kind of think Mary might have been a little dramatic. Does anyone know anyone in, that's dramatic in your life? Last night, I got an amen on that line. Some little boy over here goes, yeah! <laughs> and his mom was like, shh. <clears throat> Made my night. <laughs> anyway, so she gets to the tomb. She looks and Jesus isn't there. Ah! 
She runs to the disciples. She finds Peter and John, says the tomb is empty. And, and then Peter takes off. John outruns him. John gets to the, the door of the tomb and he looks in and he sees everything folded and neat. Peter runs on by and he walks in, looks around and comes out and does what guys do. Yep, it's empty. There's no one in there. Hey, John, how about some breakfast? Let's do some breakfast. <laughs> I don't know how it really went down, but I'm telling you, that's probably, I know men, and that's exactly what I would do. Yeah, it's def- nothing I can do about that, but I can eat breakfast. <laughs> so they go off and do whatever it is they do, but Mary doesn't leave. She's the first one there. When they're gone, she looks in the tomb, and there are two angels sitting there. And she is so set on finding Jesus that she has no problems whatsoever interrogating the host of heaven to find Jesus. This woman is wound up. Do you know where Jesus is? We're going to find Jesus today. Then Jesus comes up. She turns around and doesn't recognize him and begins to interrogate Jesus on where Jesus is. I know you're like, Mary may be dramatic, but nowhere near as dramatic as you. John 20, verse 15, the Word of God tells us, Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm never, her mascara's running. I don't know what's going on. She looks like Tammy Faye at the tomb, maybe. I'm just seeing these pictures. <clears throat> another, another old joke, I'm sorry. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Mary. And that's when everything changed. Mary, Jesus said, and she turned to him and she cried out Rabboni, which means teacher in Hebrew. In that moment, Mary's panic and Mary's fear and Mary's insecurity and her worry all vanished because when she heard Jesus say her name, all the blur, all the scales fell. And she saw a living Savior. Her life turned around. You see, Mary was so persistent. She wasn't leaving that day till she found Jesus and she got to hear her name blossom from the lips of her Savior. And when you hear Jesus say your name, it changes your life. That's what happened to me on a Thursday night in 1993. Jesus said my name. He named me Michael. It means like God. And He said it, and my life changed. See, that's what faith is. It's learning. It's pressing in. It's listening. It's being present until you hear your name. That's what saves a soul. I mean, we could sit here and and share with you the four 
law, spiritual laws or the gospel message or all those kinds of things. But I live in a world today that has no spiritual background. It didn't grow up in a Sunday school or, or have a base for Judeo-Christian thinking or teaching. You've got to do some searching. You have to, you have to do some looking yourself, some showing up yourself. You have to own your faith because I'm here to tell you that God sent His Son. He came and told us a whole new way to live, opened the doors on a new possibility of life and power, something absolutely world-changing, and we killed Him, and He didn't care because He just rose from the grave and said, hey, look, I'm alive. You now have to deal with everything I said. Do you understand? And so that's what I'm asking you to do today is to deal with Jesus. Don't just come to church, do the Easter thing, go do lunch, have the family time, have those things. But somewhere in there, you have to deal with Jesus Christ because there's a guy who died and got over it. You've got to take that seriously. If you don't take that seriously, what happens is, is you end up, see, in this life, and I do care what you say, but yes or no is, oh, is an answer. I can respect a yes, that's exciting. Yes, I'm going to find out about Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this figured out. I respect a yes and I get excited about it. I also respect a no. I don't care. I don't want to know. I don't want to follow Jesus. At least it's honest. At least it's honest. But this whole ignorance is bliss path where you spend the rest of your life and you go, okay, well, I don't know. I'm not really religious. I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do. I'm going to keep doing my life the way I want to do it. I'm going to keep being my own God. You might be a great person, but I promise you, you're a lousy God. And so you have to deal with Jesus Christ. Don't kick the can down the road your entire life. And then one day you stand before him. Oh, crap. Did he say that in church? Yeah. We're ordinary faith. High church is somewhere else. <sighs> Don't do that. Make a choice. A choice to know and grow or a choice to reject. Both of those I can respect equally. One makes me happy, one makes me sad, but both are honest. If you just take today and go, okay, follow that over here and the stuff I don't have time to think about today, that would be a tragedy. Don't do that. So what we're doing today, if I could get the worship team to come forward. Uh, we have set up a couple things. First of all, I'm going to have some people help me and we can pray with people over on my right. Guys, it looks like we may need to move some chairs to do that. But if you would like someone, I mean, anything, faith, a situation in your life, a sickness, whatever it is, we ask God for big stuff. We'll ask God for big stuff for you. We'd love to do that in these final two songs that we sing together. What I also want to offer you today, because I know it's a big room and, and you know, people are, it's kind of uncomfortable to, do, to take certain steps. We have a response, an auto response set up on our 307-224 number that's on the screen. If you just text the word more to that, we won't harvest your information. We're not going to ask for your name. We'll just send you a link to a page on our website. And on that page is a place to start exploring faith if you're a non-believer and also on the right-hand side is a, a list of things to explore if you are a new believer. It's our starting point series and our waypoint series. Okay, Those are available to you. Actually, if you do it on your phone, starting points first and waypoints at the bottom. But however you do it, what I'm asking you to do today is give God a hard yes or a hard no.
And I'm not mad either way, unless you give God a later. Because you don't know how much later you got. So make a choice. Father God, I thank You for the opportunity this morning to laugh, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, to, to deal with some hard things. I know I've said some hard things. Thank You that we've been, this room has been graceful and receptive to all these things. I pray, Lord God, that no life in this room leaves undecided. I pray, Lord God, that You would call lives to Yourselves and You'd do what I can't. I can't convince. I, I can't say their name, but Jesus can. So I pray that men and women and children would begin hearing their name, and I give that to You in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship a minute.